Okay, I can't, I can't walk around, can I? I'm not allowed to, is that right? Is that, I'll do, never mind. Um, okay, it's great to be here this morning, it really is. Um, the prayer series, which we've been going through over these last few weeks, it's been quite a journey, actually, it really has, uh, on this prayer series. Based on the Lord's Prayer, we've looked at different aspects of prayer, adoration, petition, intercession, listening, contemplation, confession and reconciliation, and we even snuck in there some unanswered prayer uh, as well. Next week is the final instalment where the wonderful Ginny will bring a resounding amen to the prayer series. This week, we're focusing on the part of the prayer, the final part of the prayer, that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Deliver us from evil. Today, we're looking at spiritual warfare. So, shall we pray before we get into this? Lord God, thank you that there is nothing that can stop you. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Lord, nothing can stop you. Thank you that that which we've sung this morning is, is truth. It's truth based on your word. And we, we take hold of that, Lord. That nothing can stop you. Nothing can, can thwart your plans and purposes. And I pray this morning, Lord, would you, would you open our eyes and ears to hear from you? Would you embolden us as we go out, as we go out this morning uh, to recognize uh, who we are in you? and to recognize that we carry your authority as we go into the world around us. Lord, I pray you bless us in your mighty name. Amen. It's an interesting way, an interesting way to end the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Deliver us from evil, or from the evil one, depending on your translation. That yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever was added later. Perhaps to, perhaps to offer a more resounding end to the prayer. But it's a hugely important end to the prayer because it's a warning from Jesus to his followers that we will need God's protection from the evil one because we are in battle with him. Spiritual warfare is the ongoing battle between the evil one, Satan, and those who belong to Jesus. Paul explains the nature of what the battle is and isn't in Ephesians 6 verse 12 on the screen now. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This can sound a bit strange. The idea of cosmic or supernatural evil as presented in the Bible is perhaps a bit uncomfortable and maybe even a bit unfashionable. But you don't have to look very far in the world to, to recognize and realize that evil is very real. Just watch half an hour on the news later on, if you're not sure. And yet, talking about what's behind this is perhaps not so easy. Behind it all, behind the brokenness, behind the hurt, the sociological and psychological reasons that are given as to why people sin, whether the awful stuff that makes the news and makes us feel uncomfortable, or the self-centered culture that we live in and are all affected by. Behind it all is an orchestrator, a puppet master who is pulling the strings behind the scenes. Satan, the father of lies, the master of deception. Just as the battle is spiritual, so too are the weapons that we have to fight the battle. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, Paul writes this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive 
every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we'll have a look at these weapons in a bit more detail later on. So, we're going to look at three things. Classic sermon. Three things as to what's important to know for spiritual warfare. Number one, know your enemy. Number two, know your authority. And number three, know how to fight. I'm going to break down that know how to fight into three sections. It's really a five-point sermon. I've just hidden it into three. I hope that's okay. So, know your enemy. Satan means enemy or adversary. In the Gospel of John, Jesus called Satan a thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And a liar, indeed, the father of lies. Satan and his army of demons are angels created by God who rebelled against him and as such were cast out from his presence. And this is a key point. Satan and demons are created spiritual beings. As such, they do not come even close to matching God's power. Amen to that. Their rebellion appears to be sourced in pride, whereby Satan wanted to be equal with God and took a whole bunch of other angels with him, called demons. So, demons are rogue angels, headed up by Satan, who rebelled against God and now continually work evil in the world. There is a battle going on in the heavenly realms between evil angels and good angels. And the Bible doesn't really give a lot of detail on how this works. But one glimpse is in the book of Daniel, where Daniel, having received a word about an upcoming great conflict, goes into a period of fasting and interceding for three weeks. And after the three weeks are up, or after three weeks, an angel comes to him in a vision and says in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. This prince of the kingdom of Persia is an evil angel, a demon, who is able to delay God's angel from sending a message to Daniel. Until Michael, described as an archangel elsewhere in the book of Jude, essentially a chief angel, he comes to help out. We learn from this glimpse that the spiritual battle is real, it is heavily influenced by prayer, and it requires perseverance. It's also more, more, it's about more than individuals. It's not just individual attack. Evil angels will attempt to exercise influence and control over institutions, organizations, towns, cities, countries, and cultures, such as the kingdom of Persia. We should not become overly interested in Satan or how he, how he organizes his army. The Bible goes into enough detail for us to know. What is made abundantly clear in the Bible is that Satan and his army is a defeated army through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fullness of God's kingdom will come with Jesus' return. And it is at this point that Satan will be destroyed forever. You can read that in Revelation 20 verse 10. Jesus' death and resurrection is a bit like D-Day. The decisive moment when the war was won. Battles remain. The enemy fights on in desperation. But the victory is assured. 
The time between then and God's kingdom coming in fullness, the time we live in right now, is a, is a bit like that. We have battles to fight and can do so in confidence, knowing that victory is already ours through Jesus Christ. Okay, number two, know your authority. Ephesians 1, 20 to 22 says this, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. We know where Jesus is and the authority that he has. And that's fairly straightforward to comprehend. The next bit, though, quite frankly, is mind-boggling. Ephesians 2 tells us, But God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where are we? Where are we? We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Far above all rule, all power, all authority and dominion, and above every name that is named. That's where we are. We sing a song sometimes that quite rightly states, The enemy is under your feet. We are free. We are free. And death has been defeated by love. You overcome. You overcome. Feel free to sit. No, don't sing along. It's fine. Because of our position in Christ, the enemy is under our feet. Have you got that? The enemy is under our feet. And this has massive implications because when we pray, we do so from this position. We do so from this perspective. We're not praying to God from the middle of the mess. We pray from a position of authority. And to quote from Pete Gregg's book, How to Pray, that accompanies the prayer course. I can't claim this for myself, I'm afraid. This elevated perspective changes everything about how we view ourselves, how we view the world's problems, how we view God, and how we view prayer. In prayer, we are learning to rule and reign with Christ. In prayer, we get to exercise this authority. It takes practice. It takes perseverance. Look at Daniel, 21 days interceding. It's what we're called to do, and it's how we engage in the battle. So that's our authority. Number three, and four and five. Just. Number three, know how to fight. So we know the baseline now of who our enemy is and what our authority is in Christ. And we're going to look at how we fight the battle in three different arenas where spiritual warfare can play out. Individually, the church, and the world. And as, as we go through, I'll pick out some know-how-to-fight moments. I, 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 you, you, you'll know what I do, because I'll go like this and, and, and throw a jab at the camera. No, it's fine. So, know-how-to-fight. Individual. Anyone can face spiritual battles at any time. Satan is a strategist. He's, he's not stupid. He knows where your weaknesses are, and he will probe at them. He will lie. He will deceive. He will instill fear. He'll tell us it doesn't matter if we give in, and he'll convince us that we can make it on our own. He can build up strongholds in our minds, areas where we're held in bondage, trapped in certain ways of thinking, where deep ruts can develop over time, which is so hard to get out of. This is the battle for the mind. This is where wrong ways of thinking about ourselves and about our world, about the world around us, about God and about Satan, these wrong ways of thinking can paralyze us 
as Christians. They can take us out. They can make us introspective, make us passive. I know this because this, this was me. When I was 16 years old, I remember coming across the word Satan. I can't remember the context at all, but when I heard that word, a bolt of fear just shot through me. And from that point on, I was afraid of anything related to Satan. Satan, you know, devil, uh, demons. Any time I heard those words, I just had fear in me. And other fears crept in on the back of this. I was afraid of my capability of doing evil, afraid of looking lustfully at a little woman, afraid of who I was becoming. I became very introspective, and my response to this was to desperately try and prove myself, to prove myself, to get past my fears in my own strength. I was trying to become self-reliant. That was my response. But my inevitable failure led to self-pity, and so I left myself two options, self-reliance, self-pity. And looking back, my perspective on life for many years was absolutely demonic. It, it was of Satan, it was sourced in Satan. He had a strategy for me, and he, he sucked me in, hook, line, and sinker. Strongholds need breaking down. And as we read earlier, we, we have the weapons to do so. They're not of our own making, they're not of the world's making, but they are from God. They are divinely powerful, specifically purposed for the breaking down and the destruction of such strongholds. So we're going to Look at a few of these weapons now. I've got three for you. Know how to fight. Wield, wield the word of God. Jesus used scripture to counter temptation and attack from Satan in the, in the wilderness. Paul calls God's word the sword of the spirit in Ephesians 6, the only offensive weapon that he talks about in the armor of God. When feeling overwhelmed with fear, when lies are trying to undermine, when you're struggling, come against it with an opposite verse from the Bible. But don't just read it plainly. Don't just like say it, you know, in a sort of passive way. Wield it. Apply it to your situation. Declare aloud the truth of who you are. Use phrases like, I reject the lie that, dot, dot, dot. I choose to believe that, dot, dot, dot. I won't be afraid. Declare who you are and declare your position in Christ. Okay, here we go. Know how to fight. I'm, I'm stuck, I've got to do it all the time, haven't I? Pour out praise to God. Belting out a song of praise to God. Maybe at home because you can't really do it here. But belting out a praise song to God or allowing a worship song to, to wash over you that reminds you of who he is, that glorifies him, is powerful. And when you don't feel like doing this, and let's be honest, if we're feeling down, we often don't like or don't feel like doing it, choose to do it. Praise that is granted in God's word is a powerful prayer that breaks down barriers. We've had, we've had some of that this morning, I tell you. Some great worship this morning. Okay. Know how to fight. Persevering prayer. So looking back over the series, every aspect of prayer is engaging in the battle. Every prayer, from adoration to petition to intercession, contemplation, listening, confession, every type of prayer is a wielded weapon that ultimately delivers us from the evil one. As Paul concludes his armor of God peace in Ephesians 6, he encourages us in verse 18 to be praying at all times in the Spirit. 
And as the song goes, I'm sure you all know it, or you might, you might know it, some of you, every prayer, a powerful weapon, strongholds come, tumbling down and down and down and down. I love that song. When we use these weapons, God's word, praise, we persevere in prayer. Satan can't stand it. He's a coward. The promise given in James 4 verse 7 is, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Evil can be subtle as well as obvious. Satan is the master deceiver. And of course, by definition, no one knows if they're being deceived. It's been said that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Well, perhaps the second greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that life is about living for self, which at its core is pride. I will be in charge of my life. This conveys itself in many forms, but one that I've become increasingly aware of recently is, is the statement that a lot of people seem to make is being true to yourself, being true to yourself, or as it's often put, being authentic to your true self. Now this is seen as a big positive. To give people space and freedom to be and live who they are without fear, or, uh, without fear of judgment or prejudice. It sounds like a good thing, and it, but it also implies that some people do not feel able to be themselves, which results in them pretending to be somebody else in order to fit in. And that is not right. That's absolutely not right. No one should live afraid of what others think. But, and this is my view, it feels to me like the be authentic to yourself has become another vehicle to emphasize self. Champion self and the fulfillment of self as the ultimate goal. Jesus didn't say be authentic to yourself. He said deny yourself. He didn't say follow your dreams. He said follow me. He didn't say live for yourself. He said die to self. God made you uniquely in his own image. He wants relationship with you. For that to happen, he asks you to give up yourself to the one who gave up himself for us. Jesus, the Son of God, did not live on earth to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He died on the cross to pay the price for your wrongs, for your pride. You need a saviour. That saviour is not you. His name is Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you can. Call out to him. Call out to him even now. Call out to us and we'd love, you know, on the chat, on email, phone up, in the car park later on. We'd love to help you with this and to walk through you with it and to explain it a bit more. Being authentic is a good thing. I'm not trashing authenticity. But it is who or what you're being authentic to. As Christians, be authentic to who you are in Christ. And this happens as you grow in relationship with him, as you become more Christ-like, and as you know and live in the authority that you have in Jesus Christ. Okay, the church. We're not meant to engage in spiritual warfare alone. An individual soldier marching out onto the battlefield is an easy target. We are called to engage in battle in spiritual warfare with others. 
Ephesians 6 is not a call to individually put on the armor of God by ourselves and try and stand firm by ourselves. Spiritual warfare is a battle for us. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, etc., etc. And this is the context in which Paul goes on to say, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. We put on the armor of God together. We withstand attack together. We stand firm together. You may have noticed in the Lord's Prayer that it's deliver us from evil. The army we are in is church. And church is a target for Satan. Another quote from the How to Pray book uh, by Pete Gregg. He's quoting somebody. So a guy called Chuck Lowe, anyway, says this. Like a wounded and cornered animal, Satan thrashes around desperately with the aim of injuring as many of his enemies as possible before his own destruction. So the defeat of Satan does not mean the end of trouble for the church. To the contrary, it signals an escalation and intensification of opposition and persecution. So just as Satan will identify and exploit weaknesses in us as individuals, he will do the same with the church. He knows that if he can sow disunity and complacency and a bunch of other stuff, he can wreak havoc. It's no coincidence that the focus on the spiritual battle at the end of Ephesians comes in the context of Paul exhorting the church to live in unity. We are one new people. That we should have an eager desire to, we should be eager to maintain the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. We can only engage in battle if, as a church, we stand together. So, know how to fight. Pray together. All that we've learned in this prayer series, all that we've practiced perhaps, and the prayer course as well in the week, keep it going by yourself, but keep it going with others. You know, hook up with two or three people. Find a fellow Christian online, uh, you know, in the park, and pray, because this strengthens unity in the church. Yeah. I, was in, um, I was in Vietnam eight years ago on a mission trip, and um, we, we met a bunch of people, but one, one of the pastors there who, uh, who we met, and, and you need to know that Vietnam is a country where Christians are persecuted for their faith. One of the pastors there said something that to, to me and those who were there was, was mind-blowing. He said, do not pray for an end to persecution. Pray for an increase in strength to resist persecution, to stand firm. Because what he told, in areas where the church was becoming more accepted by government, where persecution was lessening, there were sounds of complacency among churches. When we pray, deliver us from evil. I don't think it's a plea to be delivered from persecution. I really don't. Jesus said we would have trouble in this world. I, I think it's praying to be delivered from giving in to evil. That we wouldn't cave to temptation or the lies or deception of the evil one. The church in this country is increasingly under attack. Much of it is subtle. But should we be praying for this to stop? Rather than bemoan the marginalization of Christianity in our society, rather than pray for Christianity to be treated fairly, how about praying in the same manner of that extraordinary request from the Vietnamese pastor, not for persecution to stop, but for strength to stand firm in the midst of increasing persecution, for the strength to fight the battle with the weapons God has given us, and not to be assimilated into the culture that is around us. If that means the church being marginalized, so be it. If that means people leaving the faith because the church won't conform to the world around us, so be it. If that means people accusing us and hating us, so be it. 
We are not here to be liked. We are here to be Christ-like. Okay, the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are called to go into the world and bring God's kingdom wherever we go. Satan wants to take you out as an individual and he wants to take us out as a church because he doesn't want you to enter the battlefield of the world in the first place. He doesn't want us walking around with intent in the shoes of the gospel of peace. He doesn't want us marching out purposefully in the power and authority that Jesus gives us over demons and diseases. A couple of years ago, I was, I was given, and I've been living with a word from someone in the church, um, and it started with me at the top of a pit. Imagine a pit in front of me here. And I was throwing a rope down into the pit and hauling people out. Anyone had grabbed on. And it developed into, into actually me going down the rope into the pit to try and get people out. And it developed again even more to me being in the pit with a light which people could see and maybe be drawn to. We live in a dark world. Tens of thousands of people just in Bedford alone do not know who Jesus is. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says that the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. You have this light. You are the light of the world. It's not enough to stand at the top of the pit and yell down, grab the rope, we'll get you out, it's great up here. You are invited to climb down into the pit. The only way to unblind minds is to take the light to them. That is you, that is us. So, know how to fight. Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the light of the gospel. Uh, we are moving to Yorkshire soon. We're going up north. We've been practicing our accents. Hey, up. We're going to a town, which we only found out recently, is one of the... <laughs> we're going to a town, which we only found out recently, is one of the most unchurched towns in the UK, so we're told. Now, I'm not sure it's fair to call it a pit. It's not that bad, really. But it, it, is, it is enemy territory. It's enemy territory. And we're going there to share the light of Christ. And all this is for saving, rescuing people, giving people the opportunity to be saved. Because the greatest act of spiritual warfare is when someone gives their life to Christ. Okay. Know how to fight. Pray God's kingdom in. There's a bunch of ways you can do this, including praying for the Holy Spirit to reveal to you those who are searching, who are seeking truth, if you like, and who are willing to listen. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those to you. Pray for insight. Distinguishing between spirits is a spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12, but it doesn't get as much press, perhaps, as other spiritual gifts. But we should absolutely pray for this gift and exercise this gift and practice this gift. It's vital to discern what is going on in the spiritual realm, which is impacting the world around us. Okay, here we go.
Know how to vice. This is the last one. Know how to vice. Get into the pit. Read for yourselves Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46 later on. I'll give you the short version now. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was a stranger, naked, sick, in prison. And you cared for me. Or you didn't care for me. Jesus went into the pit. He went to the poor. He went to the marginalized. He went to the hurting, the prostitutes, the addicts, the hopeless. Follow Jesus into the pit. He did not judge them, but loved them. He was compassionate without compromising truth. So should we. Face to face is our ministry to the homeless, vulnerable, and lonely. We do breakfast outreach on a Sunday morning in the town. We do a meal on a Sunday afternoon where we chat, have a bit of a laugh, and open the Bible. We want to offer this out to more people. We, we, we want to offer more people to come into this building and, and be impacted, to take ourselves out there into the community and talk to more people and share the light of the gospel. But we need more of you guys to, to step into the pit. We need people to cook, to wash up, to buy the food in the week, uh, to go into the town, to come and meet the people and talk to them and get to know them because they're, they're really good. They're great people. They're so good to talk to and to share the gospel with. So I exhort you, get into the pit. Spiritual warfare is not for the few. It is for all of us. And the word that Rich brought before around an equipping for the battle, equipping warriors. Some of you heard that and thought, that's not me. Some of you heard that and thought, that's for somebody else. You are all warriors. You are all prayer warriors. You are all called to pray at all times in the spirit. And you are all equipped. We need to train, we need to practice, we need to get into this more maybe. And, we need to, and the best place to practice, out on the field. So, spiritual warfare is not to be feared. It's not to be burdened by, for two reasons. We know that victory is ours in Jesus Christ. And we know how to fight in the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. Can I ask you to stand if you're in the room, and why not at home as well? Uh, Band, are you? Yeah, awesome. So it's a sort of um, sort of twofold response today, I guess. And the first one, I, d- I want you to close your eyes, focus on God. I guess that's pretty obvious. Shift your perspective from where you are, from where you feel you are now, to where you are seated alongside Christ. To close your eyes and accept the truth that you are seated with Christ. Know your position. Know your authority. And from this position, from this position, commit to train, to practice, and engage in the battle. Know how to fight. Wield the word of God. Know how to fight. 
pour out praise to God. Know how to fight. Persevere in prayer. Know how to fight. Pray together. Know how to fight. Proclaim the gospel. Know how to fight. Pray God's kingdom in. Know how to fight. Get into the pit.